Welcome to our journey. Our journey toward a more perfect union. Our more perfect union is an experiment, a grand experiment in something we all cherish, democracy. Welcome to our Radio Roundtable with higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people celebrate the journey of America toward a more perfect union. Welcome to A More Perfect Union. I'm Nick Remesong, along with my co-host, Chris Wolf. And uh, joining us this week from our roundtable of regulars, we have Dr. Natalie Alinos, who is the Executive uh, Director for Health and Human Services for Harvard. Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, a higher education consultant. And we also have a couple of special guests with us. We have Karen Ward, who is the Executive Director of Skills USA Incorporated. And Scott O'Brien, who is the head career guidance counselor and marketing specialist, among many other hats that he wears at uh, Tri-County Vocational Technical School here in Franklin. Pete, I, did you I, want to say a couple of I words? Think, I think Scott basically, you know, at Tri-County in his 13 years, as far as wearing hats, he's trying to collect the entire set. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's more than close. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Trade him with your friends. Anyway. <laughs> uh, what I want to do is is just basically say that we're talking about real apprenticeships, registered apprenticeships. What happens once students go out into the workforce or even prior to the workforce? You know, what is what is the evolving landscape from the education we all knew, read and write and arithmetic and other stuff and and really being prepared for life and for a career? On the Massachusetts website about registered apprenticeships, there is uh, a number of good pages, guidelines handed down from uh, the Federal uh, Department of Labor. And so just some quick definitions. An apprentice, a person who is employed to learn an occupation or profession, registered with a sponsor in an approved apprenticeship program. An apprenticeable occupation is a skilled trade or craft. And by the way, I underscore craft myself personally. Uh, as a profession that requires special abilities and has been recognized by U.S. Department of Labor and the Massachusetts Executive Office of Labor and Workforce Development. And then finally, an apprenticeship program, which is, of course, a program for administering the apprenticeship agreement, which is put in place, which contains terms, conditions, the qualification, recruitment, selection, employment, and training of apprentices, including the requirement for a written agreement. The the notion of apprenticeships, I think, really formalizes and greatly expands our more casual term of, of internships, which are valuable. And certainly at Franklin TV and radio, we have internships. They are not as expanse as this program. And with that, Nick, Dr. Mike, Dr. Nat, Chris, you may ask away. Well, Karen, if you could explain to us, uh, as I mentioned, you're the executive director of uh, Skills USA incorporated um what is your involvement in all of this statewide or uh, nationwide <laughs> yeah yeah thank you for thank you for having me um 
Yes, yeah, SkillsUSA is a uh, student organization where we work with our career and technical schools uh, to provide the students with um, uh, work-based experiences uh, to uh, develop their workplace, personal, and uh, technical skills. All of the career and technical schools in Massachusetts are what we call total participation SkillsUSA programs. Every student that goes to a career and technical school in Massachusetts is a SkillsUSA member. And that's important because we provide them with employability skills curriculum to teach in the classroom. Um, we provide them with uh, competitive experiences, but also workplace experiences. And one of our new uh, initiatives is uh, SkillsUSA Massachusetts is becoming what's called a, an apprenticeship intermediary. Uh, because what we found is that um, we have many partner companies that have registered apprenticeships with the state. And the problem that they have is actually recruiting um, high school age, 16 and above, um, apprentices to come into their programs. Um, there's a disconnect between education and industry, which SkillsUSA is, um, becomes the bridge to that. So the program that we're working on uh, actually works with um, union apprentices and also um, private apprenticeships that are developed by companies and approved by the state. And the goal is that we provide them with um, students that are career ready because the students are also engaged in our career essentials training program where they're learning the employability skills that go along with being an apprentice. Uh, you know, an apprenticeship is, as we all know, is no joke. You know, this is real work. This is a full day of work, training, class, you know, class experience, et cetera. So the students have to be ready for that. And our job is to help them become ready and provide that background support for them so that they can be a quality apprentice in whatever type of apprenticeship that they uh, aspire to. So that's our initiative and Tri-County is one of our schools. And so we have four different types of apprenticeship that are ready to roll. We have business partners that are ready to engage. Uh, we also have uh, union apprenticeships that are ready to look at how that can work in a union setting. As one of our union reps said, um, you know, SkillsUSA students come to apprenticeship ready to go and the whole package is tied with a bow because they're ready to go and they're ready to work. So so that's where we're that's what we do in this equation with apprenticeship. You give them a real good grounding in life skills along with employable employability exactly. skills. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that would take us probably to Scott O'Brien, who, as I mentioned, is the head career accountant guidance counselor at uh, Tri-County uh, Regional Vocational Technical High School here in Franklin. Scott, could you expand on what you do? Sorry about that. Yes, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Um, so at Tri-County, we are, our goal is to make sure that the students are well prepared in whatever direction they want to go in after high school, whether that be military work or career um, or college. Um, and Ultimately, some of our students choose to do all three, which, <laughs> you know, can happen. We have students who go off to college four years, you know, ROTC program while using their Massachusetts cosmetology license at the same time. Um, and that happens in actually a lot of our trades. So ultimately, we are making sure that the students <clears throat> are 
have access to the opportunities that they need to gain the, whether it's licensure, credentials, hours, um, experience, hands-on experience that the students need to be successful in industry. Um, and as I said, whether that's going on to college, uh, career, or military. Skills USA really helps our students decide if they want to focus. Um, so our careers are very broad, um, and students can choose from multiple um, opportunities within each of our 16 majors here to go in a direction. And Skills USA, sometimes the students choose something as specific as carp cabinet uh, making um, in the carpentry field. Um, that's just one of the many different examples. They can all do. They can also compete in areas like prepared speech um, or team building. Um, so it's not just preparing them in the trade, but also, as I said, the umbrella of employability that we are looking to achieve with our students. Um, and get basically that is my goal is to make sure that the students are aware of the opportunities and prepared for those before they graduate. Thank you very much. I also want to welcome Rachel Plukas, who is Franklin uh, Democratic Chair. She's joining us here now. Morning, Rachel. Hi, good morning. So are you ready to hear me get excited about our subject today? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay. So it's a pleasure to be with you guys. I'm really excited about the subject matter that we're discussing today. I'm a graduate of Norfolk County Agricultural High School. I majored in floral design uh, and horticulture while I was there. I was, I did not do a co-op. I did not do a long-term, uh, like semester long uh, program. I was very involved in the student government and in, go figure, uh, and in uh, a lot of other things. But as a floral design major, I did take off two weeks before Valentine's Day, two years in a row. And I worked something like, I, I kid you not, something like a hundred hours in the week being prepared for that. And I, I will never forget that experience. Um, it, like uh, Scott was just explaining, the things that an internship does for you, um, if you're uh, in the trades, uh, you do get things like, okay, how do I process flowers quickly? How do, how do I uh, make sure I know which filler to use for the greens? But you also learn, how do I manage my time? Here is a box of roses that I need to get ready to go in the next 30 minutes. How do I set it up properly? What are the chemicals I put in the water to make it the, the flower-friendly water? I learned how to price something, how to figure out how much time is it going to take me to make this? What is the cost off the boat from the Boston Flower Exchange? And we did get to go uh, into the Boston Flower Exchange and see the warehouse where the entire northeast coast of the United States gets its flowers. Um, that is a really humbling and exciting experience for a young person. I have, and again, I learned more how to balance a budget doing my work as a floral designer. We were allowed to order our own flowers, but we had to, again, price them and make sure that it was going to be worth the time and that it was going to, that it could be sold. I ended up getting to take most of them home, which was wonderful for my parents. They were really happy about that, but I'm really excited to see what Norfolk Aggie particularly is currently doing with their co-op program. When I was a student there in the early 2000s, it had kind of, it had reached a lull. It was not something that was really directly engaged with uh, for students. Maybe like three people took advantage of it. Now it's much bigger. There are veterinary students that go into Angel Hospital, the best known 
area veterinary hospital. And they get to work with these professionals and gain this pride and responsibility. Uh, there are Milford Cat, uh, local business. That institution is another place where these students who have just learned what is a diesel engine are now responsible for not just knowing about it, but for making sure that they're safely maintained. And yeah, because of that, I, I have a, I did choose to go on to college, but I, and I have a bachelor's and a master's degree, but I say this all the time. I, I say it in many, many conversations, the education that I got at my trade school at Norfolk County Agricultural High School was more valuable to me. And I find myself using it more than I use my graduate degree and I didn't pay for it. So <laughs> it's, if I had to choose one or the other, I would definitely choose Norfolk Aggie again. It was one of the best decisions I made in my entire life. So again, I'm really, really excited that we're spending time talking about this and thanks for, thanks for listening in. Rachel, you touched on something that's really interesting to me because Along with the trade, I think one of the things that's really critical with respect to life skills, employability skills, let's talk long term as well. And I think Scott and Karen, you probably have some thoughts on this because a lot of these people who are really good at craft, who really learn how to manage their life, their career, this is about business. This is about being, sometimes it's about being a business of one or maybe even growing into a business where you have employees. So I'd like to touch on that a little bit because this does not mean simply finding a job and staying there. This is a long-term career thing that has great potential for starting businesses. And I'd like to know how all that sort of fits into the larger scope of thing. Yeah, so I can certainly address that. Many of our business partners are actually graduates of our uh, career technical programs. Uh, Tri-County graduates are well among them. Everything from um, military, we have a, a Navy captain who is assigned to the Pentagon, who's a graduate of Tri-County. He was a merchant Marine. Um, he has an electrical background and became an electrical engineer and went out to do that work. And now he's at the Pentagon. We have business owners that, um, employ some of our students you know they they come back and employ um some of our students many of them that own their own businesses in the community in the in your community um you know so it's it's a continuum and a cycle where they learn they graduate they open businesses in your community and then they train up the next group of skilled workers and you know, even on our board of directors, uh, we have two graduates of our programs. One is a Tri-County graduate. He actually works for Bain Capital, and he's a Tri-County graduate. And we have another one that owns an insurance company. She's a graduate of Keefe Tech in Framingham. Um, so, you know, the skills they learn um, far exceed the education that they have um, at the schools. I myself am a graduate of career and technical school. My husband happens to be a graduate of Tri-County in Franklin. And so all of those skills, those life skills that were being referred to, you know, those um, personal skills, workplace skills, and then the technical skills and personal skills like integrity and leadership. Those are the skills that they're learning because we're educating the entire student. It's everything from work ethic to um, professionalism. 
And, you know, when they go into a career in technical school, it, the education is, it's, it's like going to work. You know, when you go to school, you're, you're going to work for the day and they treat their students like they're going to be in a workplace setting. So the expectations are very different. Uh, in a career in technical school, um, your demeanor, your um, attention to detail, all of those things that an employer hopes for um, are what we aspire to every single day in career and technical schools. And then, you know, and then they become, they are our workforce. And, you know, the Franklin uh, community can be very proud of the number of graduates from Tri-County that now support your community and own businesses in your community. You know, I'd like to jump in and, and bridge some of our language here because I I absolutely uh, just embrace and adore the fact that, one, uh, in some of the places where I've worked, you have not mentioned once, and I love this, what in some states they call soft skills. I don't particularly care for the word. Mm -hmm. I don't particularly think and stuff that people really mean what they're saying. And there is a piece, too, that I'd like to bridge, which is that these students and these adults are learning skills that first help them personally. Mm -hmm. Second, learn skills that help them as a potential family member or citizen. Third, they learn skills that help them to become employable. And fourth, they learn skills that help them to advance through careers over a lifetime. Now, there's nothing soft about any of that. No. And as a matter of fact, I rebel against it and I rebel against it. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper and darker here for a moment. I rebel against things like soft skills. Because as a person of color, much of what happens in the, especially industry apprenticeships and the uh, internships is that some people come across as, uh, or some businesses may come across in some places that all we want are people who are uh, sheepish, who follow orders, and who basically will work for cheap. That's not what CTE, the career and technical education, is all about, number one. Right. Number two, everything that happens in terms of training students to be good citizens, career learners, is not necessarily about business. It's about developing a person who understands how to operate both as a human being, a citizen, um, a family member, uh, and earn a living. And right. that doesn't necessarily focus on business. And there are other things, too, and I'm sure uh, our listeners hear this all the time. Schools have got to be more responsive to business and industry and their needs. I don't agree with that. I think that all of us have to work together because there are some things that happen in business that don't even lead us toward a future because that business, in some instances, is trying to uh, create or generate a profit. And not necessarily generate research or development or creative ideas. And so those things are all there in our ET, uh, CTE training. They're there in Tri-County. That's the beauty, I think, of some of the things that we do. Uh, when I listen to Rachel uh, talk about Norfolk Aggie. And now for the total reveal, I happen to be one of those who recognize, even with my own children, that I made some huge presidential 
mistakes as I was raising my children because I was one of those children out of the 50s and 60s who believed that there were basically two processes. One, if you're going to college, and two, if you were going into career and technical education uh, to become a plumber, and neither one of those touched one another, and they didn't even have similar pathways. I was so wrong. I'm, I was so wrong. And now I'm a firm believer that at this point in time, folks, it depends on your learning style, your learning method, and how you best absorb uh, information and learn skills uh, as to what you do and where you go. And career and technical ought to be part of every family discussion. Michael, I'll jump in because this has been so eye-opening for me. You know, I, I run a center at Harvard on health and human rights. It's a center of about 30 people, and I have staff, and I hire staff. And typically they have, you know, on, on paper, good credentials, good colleges, good education. And then they have good ideas, but zero of what you're talking about, Rachel, in terms of time management, how to do teamwork. So they'll say, let's organize this event and don't realize that that will take us, you know, six months of a lot of people working and it's hard. It's hard because they're junior level jobs. So I can't hire someone who has five years of work experience. But then that kind of mismatch of, you know, what does it take to turn a good idea into something? And, you know, I'm not even talking about something that's physical. It's, you know, an event that it's not something that, you know, I can dream it up. And tomorrow we have an event with food and people coming and, you know, flyers and invitations. And and this has been so eye-opening that maybe I should be, I'm looking at the wrong candidates. And maybe it is people who have in their high school had some opportunity to work in teams, to do time management. Um, and, you know, a master's degree in public health is wonderful, but it's not really for the staff roles that I need, not what I should be looking for. So thank you for this conversation. I think it's really shifting my understanding because I am a product of the very you know, traditional education system, although I did actually grow up, the, you know, the folks who know me knew I grew up in Greece. So, you know, I came to the U.S. for college and I went to school in Greece. And so I had a different education system. But, um, yeah. Rachel, so you wanted them. to put something on top we, of that? Yeah, so I'd love to. First of all, um, Natalie, we'll cut this out. Natalie, what do you do at Harvard? That's my that's the grad school I went to. And I will say again that I'd prefer Norfolk Aggie to Harvard University. What what school is it? That you <laughs> I'm, based, I'm based at the School of Public Health, but it's a university. Yep. It's a university wide center that runs um, Which one? health and human rights. It's called the FXB Center for Health and Human Rights. We do work globally as well as in the U.S. on in the U.S., it's focused on structural racism and reparations, some new work on climate change globally, a lot of work on humanitarian migration issues. It's a lot of research. You know, Harvard's product yep. isn't a car. We produce uh, reports, but we also have a mission to uh, change public communication. So we had a large symposium um, on reparations and health that was in a center. We had over 200 people coming, and that had a lot of logistical support that was needed, mm -hmm. you know ordering the food, getting the everything together. And my team who are very kind of intellectually, you know, able to like write reports were not skilled to the time management. And I found myself really struggling. So Rachel, yes, it's a, uh, it's a great center. I'm not, and I'm not, and I have a great team. I hope they don't hear this message. They're a great team, but I, I feel like I need to you know, think through a little bit the profiles and, you know, also from the outside, I should mention, um, Karen and Scott, I used to work at the UN for a long time. I was always very hesitant to take on interns um, mm. because 
felt like it was more work for me. And I think what when you said that your networks are what offer the opportunities because people in that network know what these people can do. Whereas for me, it was like, oh, I'm going to have to spend three hours explaining this and five hours. And it was intimidating. So I was the one type of manager who kind of says, uh, I don't know, the internship might end up being more work for me than it is. So I think it's important for the audience, the, the listeners to realize that actually it's, you know, how do you, it's the type of intern, maybe an intern who is a Harvard undergrad would be more work, but maybe someone who is at a <laughs> technical, you know, who has some technical background would, would not be as much work. I don't know. Well, I, I kind of feel your pain there. I worked at the Massachusetts Department of Education for many years, and we would take in interns and they were, um, you know, um, a lot of work. And, and it's, and it's, and it's really there. Um, we call them the 17 essential elements of success. And they're broken into three categories of personal skills, workplace skills, and then their technical skills. But the workplace skills are things like communication, decision-making, teamwork, multicultural sensitivity and awareness, planning, organizing, and management, and leadership. And from the what you just described, that's what your, your staff um, really needs. And we talk about the personal skills of integrity, work ethic, professionalism, adaptability, and flexibility, because God knows we all need that these days and self-motivation of uh, the curriculum and the programming at career and technical schools and that SkillsUSA specifically offers to our schools focuses on those skills. And the career technical schools provide them with their um, technical skills in their trade, but we also accent the technical skill side with things like customer service skills, um, professional development, and um, you know, job-specific health and safety. You know, making sure that they're safe while they're working. OSHA regulations, and you know, Rachel, you went to Norfolk Aggie, so I'm sure you're well familiar with all of that. And then also computer literacy, because you know, the worst thing you can have is an intern or an employee that doesn't have some combination of those 17 essential elements. And that's what is the difference in a career and technical education student um, is, you know, they may go into a field that's semi-related to their technical field. If they were a carpentry student, they may wind up being a bridge and building engineer. I'm married to one who was a carpentry student at Tri-County. Uh, but it, the difference are those 17 essential elements, because mm -hmm. regardless of when you enter the on with the on-ramp to the workforce, whether that's after high school, after military, uh, after college, after graduate school, everybody needs some combination of those 17 essential elements in order to be successful. And I think that's the difference when you, you know, people say, why are these students so different? And that is why they're so different. It's that focus. Mm -hmm. uh I can jump in for a quick, this is uh, Chris here, um, and just talk a bit about the decision-making to get into it. But first, I want to say thank you, Scott, for one of your graduates uh, fixed our plumbing this week, uh, three <laughs> graduated three years ago, so we're very grateful for that. Um, but um, And for myself personally, yes, I learned a, um, 
like uh, Rachel and others, and uh, uh, a lot more about life in the military than I did at Cambridge. So um, <laughs> again, I put a lot of value on the, that experience rather than the the academic one. Um, but um, for I'm still trying to puzzle what I want to do with the rest of my life. So how does an eighth grader and their parents um, make that decision about what to do? Because it's a huge uh, there is still a lot of that, mm-hmm. um, you know. I don't want to say stigma, but that that That's that story. distinction between the academic path and the technical path. Um, so, how to? You know, I don't point. think anybody on the panel is going to dispute that what the technical education can provide is invaluable right. and preparing better human beings in many ways than than the purely technical, purely academic. But how, how you can talk about how you made that decision and Scott, how you counsel uh, parents and families. Yeah, I can go through the process. So, you know, we're aware that um, we are taking in students who may have no clue, never even thought about where their life would be in four, eight, 16 years. So our goal is literally to introduce the idea and options and help them self-guide to where they want to be. I've, as I said before, we've had students come in for culinary arts because they love the idea of cooking and they go to college for actuary science. I've had students come in to go into auto tech and man, that student can change brakes and oil change for their family for the rest of their lives. But then they decided, you know what, I want to go a different route and go to business school. Go ahead. We have students who come in again, cosmetology, they get their license, they go on to school then they see, oh, wait, business is a great opportunity, but I could use what I learned at Tri-County to go into business. So they tie it all together. So what we do here is to start with, we have 16 majors, which within those majors, you can go off in a hundred different directions. The students get to explore each of those majors for a small portion of a day. So they get to sample it. They get to see our labs, what it looks like to be in the industry. Um, they get to meet our teachers who've all worked in industry prior to becoming teachers. Then they get to choose six of their favorite programs and explore each of those for a week. So that takes you all the way till this time of the year where our students have gone through student success, which is one of the electives we offer, which talks about the employability and life decision-making skills that we try to embed in them. But by this time also, we've pushed high expectations. That's the, the point of all vocational agricultural high schools is that our expectations are really high. Um, and that is how we get our students to mature so quickly. Um, we don't set the bar low at all. <laughs> um, so what happens is at that point, the student then picks their favorite major, and that's what they go into for the next three and a half years. Um, and we do give them some opportunity to change if they, say, made a bad choice because they followed, you know, maybe a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a group of friends. It doesn't happen often because we do lecture them a lot on that. Um <laughs> But we do give them that opportunity. And as I said, we still ingrain in these students that no matter what you're getting, this credential, this vocational experience above your high school diploma. So you're getting your high school diploma on this side. On this side, you're getting all this extra added uh, perks of coming to a vocational or agricultural high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'd like to share my experience with with getting started with the Aggie. I'd also like to... Um, graphed a little bit about what we're talking about now with what uh, Michael Walker Jones shared with us about uh, the different skills and the bias associated with this 
uh, type of educational system. Um, I will never forget uh, my best friend through high school was at Franklin High. And we had just graduated and we were on our way into Boston to see some show. And uh, on the train ride, we got into a really heated debate. One of the biggest fights I had with my best friend was, uh, go figure again, over politics. Uh, and it was about, is there such a thing as a uh, socially liberal Republican and a, or a uh, conservative Democrat? And we, we were debating, debating, debating. And then my best friend tells me that I went to Norfolk Aggie. I don't know what I'm talking about. That to me was just, it stopped my heart and it, it will never, I'll never forget it. And we, I did face a lot of that. And what Michael Walker Jones was also sharing about uh, the really interesting skills you learn as a human being, as a community member, uh, really applies here. I uh, grew up in Franklin, Massachusetts as a Caucasian female um, I had all sorts of similar people around me. This was the first time that I felt like I was a, a subjugated minority. I was a group of people who there was this bias that happened and the, the grief associated with that, but then the power it can give you uh, if you stick with it and you start presenting and making the choice to present to people, this is, this is what a graduate truly looks like. I do feel like that's changing a bit, um, even in the time that I was there and now, because it's just so hard to get into these schools. My choice to go there was first and foremost because I wanted to get out of the Franklin public school system. I, I got a phenomenal education, but it wasn't right for me. Um, I needed a place where I could be outside. I needed a place where I could yeah, a lot of it was I wanted. I knew I needed to be outside. I wanted to go in and be a uh, animal science veterinarian, and I was really quickly turned off to that. And I was grateful for it. I realized a veterinarian uh, spends a lot of their time uh, putting animals to sleep, learning what new chemicals and chemistry is in the medicine. That wasn't me. So that opportunity. I can't imagine if I hadn't done the Aggie and I went to a college with that same idea that I was an animal science professional. Um, that was a huge gift. But again, one of the reasons I wanted to go there was veterinary science being outside. One of the most important things that I think maybe the high schools could do is be in closer contact with middle school guidance counselors. I had a phenomenal uh, advocate as a eighth grader in making sure that I knew what to do, looking at my application, making sure that my attendance stayed good. Uh, Vogue schools do not like bad attendance. If you miss something, you don't know how to tie the knot that you're going to then climb up a tree in. So you can't miss a day. And again, that's another life skill that's really important. Um, mm -hmm. But the uh, support in a middle school environment really does help push someone who is so young to uh, feel that kind of uh, empowerment to make that decision. I would agree. And to the question again, you know, what do we do for eighth grade parents and who are trying to make this decision with their child? I think, you know, what I would encourage your listeners to think about is 
you know, uh, thinking um, broadly about their children's education and understanding that the opportunity at a career in technical school is not limiting, but it is in fact um, expanding. Um, you know, it, people view it as this is a very limited opportunity for my child, which we all know. And myself as a graduate of a career technical school and Rachel, it is not limiting. It's actually giving them more opportunities and you know, parents are just afraid because there's that stigma that we have of being a, um, a person who works with their hands is um, for somebody else's child, not mine. And, uh, you know, but a career in technical school, every opportunity is open to them. As Scott pointed out, you know, more than half of our graduates go on to college. Um, they have no trouble getting into college at all because they have these other skills. But also schools like MIT, Rensselaer, um, you know, um, Worcester Polytechnical Institute, they snap up our graduates as fast as they can because they have all of those baseline skills that they now don't have to waste time teaching. Um, employers snap them up for the same reason. So, you know, Rachel's experience is, um, you know, is spot on as to what actually happens in a career technical school. And all of our experiences are very similar that, you know, people said, do not go, you know, there was an eighth grade guidance counselor that actually told my parents, do not send her to that school. You will be wasting her brain. And that was a guidance counselor. But, you know, you don't you don't fault a guidance counselor in the 80s who said something like that because of the, the view of a career in technical school. And I think the goal here is for parents to understand that there are many opportunities, but also go to the school, go mm -hmm. to Tri-County, look at the school, talk to the people at Tri-County. You cannot help but be impressed by any of these schools. Norfolk County Egg serves, serves your, your listeners community. Go there and look at that school yeah. or um, you cannot help but be impressed by what you see there. Yeah. And there, and we still do face a lot of these um you know, unsubstantiated biases and, and, and these things that have been rumors that have been circulating. And we try to get through those. The most important thing is access. So the middle school students need to be able to access our school and see what it's like. We do offer a uh, weekend open house. Um, we do tours every Tuesday. Um, the problem is we're, we are hearing bits of, that teachers in some of the middle schools are saying, you can't go to college, right? If you know you go to that school, you're not going to make a lot of money. Or we hear these things still rumbling, which is which is sad. But what we need to do is take down some of the barriers and allow these students to at least see this as a public school option. The Aggies, a public school option for all students in our district. Um, and, and there's still those barriers up, and hopefully we can get through them. I mean, these employers are starting to see it. The colleges are starting to see it. We have people knocking down our door. I have a 100% positive placement rate for the last, I don't even know, since I've been head of guidance, at least beyond that too. I know at least since I've been measuring, it's been at least four years of 100% positive placement. Um, not only that, but about 30 companies call me the first week of graduation asking for our students. They're all employed. Sorry, it's too late. Our employers are now coming to us asking, we started co-op, which is along the lines of the apprenticeship program, um, in junior year. So in March, we're going to start sending our students every other week out to a job to do and start their apprenticeship. Um, and that carries all through the summer, and it carries all through senior year. Um, and those employers are the smart ones. They're the ones 
a lot of them Tri-County alumni who are picking up our students. There's one company we just spotlighted last year who hired 16 of our graduates, HVAC company, at least 16. They had that currently, I think. And so, you know, those are the programs, those are the companies. And we have the colleges now, the most selective nursing programs are trying to get our students um, coming in, recruiting, talking directly to our students. So, you know, they're seeing it. Now we need to, the rest of the community to be aware that we're a very different school than their you know, these kids' grandparents, um, when they had the opportunity, it's a very different place. Um, and we're very proud of what we've done, where we're going. Yeah. And speaking of those barriers from the 80s, they, they were twice as high and seven times as thick in the 60s when okay. I was coming out of uh, junior high going into high school because you couldn't get a job. You, you, you were going to make less money. You were always going to make less money. You were just going to be looked down upon because and we were taught to think that way. They were, you know, thugs, to put it mildly, was was part of the, uh, that was part of the stigma that was attached to it. These are people who are just going to be a drag on society, and they're sent there kind of like uh, during that time also. If you didn't want to go to jail, you could join the Army. If you don't want to go to college, you can go to Votech, and, you know, you'll suffer the consequences. And it's uh, it's something that still hangs in there. It still hangs in there. But I think it's you're right. It's But people are starting to look at it now and realizing and the, the way this kind of started, this whole series, was you come out of a Votech school and you don't have a student debt. You can go to college and you can incur student debt there, but you have greater uh, you great, greater training in how to manage that debt. You go to college straight out of high school, yeah, and you, you can be successful, but your debt is going to be near lifelong for both you and the rest of your family. So... It just has to be something that we have to re-educate everyone all the way back to elementary school. And I'm this is a, know, hmm? entering elementary school. I'm a mom of a fourth grader and <laughs> kindergartners. I don't live in Franklin, so I, I at the moment I don't know when when they're in middle school. Maybe I will. Um, <laughs> so that's not you know, but it is eye-opening to me to hear this conversation. And I think I also work on climate change and health, and in a lot of conversations around new technologies and the fact that you know the future of work is so different. So people who have been trained from 14 to 18 to pick up skills quickly, to change, to try, you know, I love that you did floral design and, you know, could have considered veterinary school. Like the fact that you get that breadth when the future of work will probably require our kids to shift across industries. I do think that kind of early learning of what it takes to, to know yourself, your skills, what you like, what you dislike, and high school just simply doesn't teach you that. And, you know, my fourth grader, for example, loves to dance. And I talk to my husband sometimes about, you know, we, we lived briefly in New York City and there were these, you know, dance kind of high schools. And he's like, no, no, I don't think so. You know, it's like, I do think parents need to know about what the options are and really match their kids' interests and and open up their minds that actually the, where, how they viewed both education and work that, you know, you get into a stable career for life is just not the norm. It's not going to be the norm. And what education system allows for that kind of constant, continuous learning, flexibility, um, and those kind of, I don't know, Karen, 17 essential skills. I feel like I need to go and, and read about them um, as an employer now. Uh, but it's been eye-opening. And I know for me, moving forward with my three little ones, I, I it will just give more options. I will come explore. I will come look. It's not necessarily that I will decide a certain way, but I will, I will look, I will not allow myself to, 
to just, you know, make assumptions. And I think that's what we're talking about. Assumptions based on stigma, based on a past that is just not true right now. Um, and also well, Natalie, some, of our our, oh, do, some of our schools do offer uh, theater and performing arts technical programs. So if you want a list in the programs where you, the community where yes. you live, we yes. can certainly provide that to you. Um, you know, theater arts is a big industry. You know, there's the, you know, there's set design and lighting design and they're being snapped up like crazy because that is such a huge industry with so many facets as well. So and I, I have to put a plug in here for my uh, employer, the Franklin School of Performing Arts, which has its own academy uh, for um, a very tiny little uh, but uh, successful group of um, people that uh, follows tracks high school. Um, but the, I, if, if parents are looking for examples, uh, the four uh, my four best friends at high school, we got together at around 30 and compared notes on where we'd got to. And the uh, kid who dropped out at 15 to uh, get an apprenticeship as a printer, following in his father's footsteps, um, was by far the wealthiest and had been and is still, because of that accumulated early uh, income, uh, six-figure income, um, was was doing the best. Uh, the guy who flunked his um, graduating from high school was uh, doing the best next as a car salesman and ended up as um, international director of Toyota uh, overseas. And then um, my buddy who flunked out of college um, is was doing the best. And I, as the graduate of Cambridge, was the worst off um, economically and uh, probably still am because I ended up going into public service. But, you know, it's um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a parable there of the, the um, you know, you have that, oh, he's going to do great because he's got the academic uh, smarts, but um, doesn't uh, does does not correlate to economic success. Well, the way you can uh, think about that is think about the last time you paid a plumber or a carpenter to come to your home if you can get them. Because mm -hmm. they're out yesterday, yeah. And how much did you pay them? <laughs> uh, I'm going to touch basically on something that Karen brought up earlier about schools and employers focused on schools. That has been my case. I ran a production company in Boston all through the 80s. I had 50 people on staff, so it wasn't a tiny operation. But in terms of hiring, way you know, in my head, I had my short list of schools. The short list of schools were, of course, you know, a number of colleges. There was also another short list that I stayed away from. There were some universities that cranked out students who had the belief that, well, you know, I went to the school, therefore you owe me a job and I'm, you know, and I, no, no, they, you know, they were anointed and I didn't hire the anointed. One school that stood out locally was Keefe Tech in Framingham. They won, during the two years that I was judging uh, high school video production, they won first and second place in both years, which is really impressive. And those students, you know, many of them, of course, went on to college. But if Keefe Tech was their direct route to uh, a career, or if they went on to, say, Emerson or Northeastern or somewhere else, they were really ready to work. Same was true with Framingham State. They were ready to work. They came spring-loaded for, okay, I'm here, ready to work. And I think if there's a thing to underscore, it's really about getting that attitude inculcated in kids' lives, where not only they're ready to work, but they're enthused about working. They've made their career choice, they're on it, and they know this is what they want to do. 
let's bear in mind that 30% of the kids who go on to higher universities have no idea what they want to do yet. They have not yet found their passion. Uh, and that can be an issue. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, a good example but, yesterday. Uh, step out, you guys. My students are returning from their specialist class. A good example from yesterday, we were at Advantage Truck Group in Shrewsbury, and they hired diesel technicians. And, you know, they also hire HR and, you know, they've got a 400 person uh, company and the CEO was there and we were there participating in a service project that they do called Hauling for Hunger, where they um, put together, you know, food um, baskets for the food insecure over the holidays. And um, they had their employees working alongside our students. And I was talking to one of the employees, but he, he looked young. And I said to him, I said, do I know you? And he said, yes. Well, of course, he was a, a co-op student from one of our career and technical schools. And they had given the employees the opportunity to choose whether or not they spent the day in the, doing their job or helping with the Hauling for Hunger program. And this young man chose to come in and help prepare food baskets. So we got talking to him about that and he credited that to the um, the notion at our career and technical schools that, you know, we're preparing them to be world-class workers, leaders, but also responsible community members. And he felt a pull to come and help with a community project in addition to being a good employee at his employer. And so the CEO was saying, this is why we hire Skills USA students that go to career and technical high schools, they can they make the best employees. So that's just a, an anecdotal example of of what you're speaking about, you know, preparing that whole person who's ready to be a quality community member as a representative of your company. You know, that's what we're that's what we're talking about and what makes them different. They come out as the total package. Yeah, right. I just jump on with one final thought, which I, I, um, I mentioned off mic last week as well. But the uh, my wife was recently working with someone uh, who had graduated uh, the summer before from a very prestigious university. I can't remember if it was Yale or Harvard, but one of those two. And um, she was appalled to learn that she didn't just get summers off anymore now that she was working full time. So there's that level of um, conditioning for the workplace that uh, some people with the brightest minds just uh, aren't prepared for. What? I don't get summers off? What? Yeah. <laughs> or is it uh, once you're working, they refer to it as Dr. Summer Off, where they think that you're going to call in sick every sunny weekend, which some people did. Anyway, another more perfect union hour has flown by. Uh, we will have to say goodbye until next week. Now, if you would like to weigh in on this discussion, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at franklin.tv. That's I-N-F-O at franklin.tv. If you enjoyed our discussion, please let us know. And as always, more importantly, if you disagree, all the more reason to let us know. Now, you can also share or listen to this program or any of our uh, past episodes anytime. Our podcasts are available online at our website, wfpr.fm. And for our guest, Scott O'Brien from Tri-County Regional Vocational Technical School in Franklin. And for Karen Ward, who is the Executive Director for Skills USA Incorporated, I do want to thank you both for joining us today and really appreciate your giving us a great deal of in-depth insight on this. As program. do I, as do I. Amen. And that's our station manager, Peter J. chipping in there. And for a couple of our regulars, Dr. Natalie Alinos and Dr. Michael Walker-Jones and Rachel Plukas. 
I am, along with Peter J., Nick Remesong, my co-host Chris Wolf. Thanks for listening and joining our shared journey toward a more perfect union. This is Franklin Public Radio.